Welcome to Schmigadoonery, the podcast where we dissect and review the TV show Schmigadoon. I'm your host, Derek Baez, and joining me from Birmingham, Alabama, is my co-host and best friend, Lynn. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We uh, started, what, we were going to start recording this not too long ago, what, about a couple hours ago, but uh, life happens, but now we're here. Life does happen. (laughs) Um, My dog, my, my poor dog was very, very sick, and I was calling you frantic like what do we do i may have to go to the er I'm, i i don't know what's happening but she's fine we're here now and um i'm happy to be here all the way from birmingham which <laughs> for those who who don't know derek is in new york so we are states and states away um doing this together so but yeah we decided to do this because well, number one, we met doing a musical. We met doing yeah. Big River. And musical theater is one of the things that ties our friendship together. And uh, when this came out, I was like, oh, okay, we have to do this. Because we'd been wanting to do some <laughs> sort of podcast or something. Uh, yeah. But then uh, when I saw this, I was like, oh, this. We have to do this. Because it, it references a lot of classical musical theater and the Golden Age of Musical Theater, which we both love. We've both been in a lot Me of these too. shows, too. So I'm excited to talk about this. Any general comments about... So we're going to do... So let's, let's talk about this first. So we're going to do... Uh, since they released the first two episodes together, we're going to do the first two episodes in this episode. Then episode two will be episode three. Uh, this is coming out on Friday, more than likely, probably. Um, but then regularly our episodes will come out on Monday. Um, so you can expect them pretty soon after the episodes air on Friday nights. So... Shall we dig into episode one? We should. Now, I'm going to go on the record saying when you first came to me with this idea, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like it. Like the way you were explaining it to me, I was like, I'm going to do it because Derek is is my friend, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. And then I watched episode one and I was immediately like, okay, I have to. Like, I have to watch this. I have to know what happens. I have to know how many more references they're going to make. Like, it's especially if you're in the musical theater world, you you notice things and you pick up on stuff and you're like, oh, my gosh, nobody else. But like our community gets it. And it's exciting because there's not very many shows that that do that. So, um, well, I'll give you a quick summary of episode one. Um, Melissa Gimble and Josh Skinner, who you guys will find as our leading male and female, um, are doctors in New York City. Um, They meet while kicking a vending machine in, um, which gives them all their candy, and they start this beautiful relationship, but as years go by, it becomes strained. So one day they go backpacking, um, and that whole trip becomes a disaster. They get lost and suddenly they see a stone bridge, which they cross into to find a seemingly idyllic town called Schmigadoon. 
um, where everyone acts like they are in a musical from the 1940s and 50s. Melissa plays along since she is a huge fan of musicals, but Josh does not like it. Melissa also takes a liking to Danny Bailey, the local carny. And then the next morning, Melissa and Josh attempt to leave, but discover they cannot, as a leprechaun tells them in song, of course, that they cannot leave until they find true love. <laughs> it already, we're just right out from the bat. Uh, you know, we kind of go into this first scene where we see um, what I'm calling real life. This is them in Doctor World. You can tell by the way it's shot and by the way... It's very Grey's Anatomy, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And even, even then, like this whole thing where they just meet in the hallway and, oh, they need me. Oh, hi. Oh, I did all my <laughs> kickings. And then she kicks it and then I was like, it's already a musical. Their life is already a musical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that the way they met and I, I kind of considered that whole series of them meeting just like to me that just is um, the first scene or the first act or however we're going to break them down but the first major thing is literally the first two or three years of their relationship and you see it all in the matter of like three five minutes you know three mm -hmm. to five minutes and and then it's like oh, okay so they threw us into their real life really quickly. Um, my first initial take um, was that Melissa is like a badass. Like she is Miss Independent. Like not that she doesn't want love. It's very obvious. And for people who watch the show, like you can tell how much she wants this relationship. But mm -hmm. she is also independent. And I, I think that's why she's kind of a little rough around the edges. Um, you know what's funny when I first when I first watched this, I was like I was like, this this is this is like Lynn circa 2015, 2016. Why? <laughs> just it just was giving me very those vibes of like around the or like around the time you like first started dating James. Mm -hmm. Um and funnily enough though, I feel like James would go to this and actually enjoy it. Maybe even more a little bit more than you. But um because I feel like he likes theme parks and he likes like the fun experience. Over the, over the top stuff. Yes. Yeah. He he literally sent me a text right before we started um, recording to tell me that in the car on his way back to work, he hit the high note in um, Evermore from the Beauty and the Beast remake. Oh, yeah. Like he he literally sent me a text. He's, he is. He probably... We probably would be reversed. I love musical theater, but I think if if I was stuck in a town where it was all the time, I'd be the one that was like, okay, this is <laughs> this is annoying. Like, this is insane. And he'd be the one that was like, yeah. <laughs> no, and I probably feel like you'd be like, Derek, I know you're behind this. Why is this happening? <laughs> and there's only one person that can make this happen. <laughs> well, I want to I want to give a little <laughs> a shout out to our leading lady and man, um, Melissa, who. Um, I think she's what, like an OBGYN? She's anyways. Something like yeah. Um she's played by um Cecily Legler Strong. Um she's best known for her impersonations um on Saturday Night Live, where she has been nominated for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a comedy series at multiple primetime Emmy um award shows. Um she is insane. If you guys don't watch her on Saturday night live you should look up some of her sketches she's 
an incredible comedic actress. Oh, she's and- brilliant. And like w- w- one of the things that I was thinking about her, like watching her final episode, I think this was she had her final episode on SNL um, recently. Um, mm-hmm. But watching that compared to remember when I first seeing her, I remember first seeing her going, "Oh yeah, she's 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 cute." But then now watching, seeing, like I can see the growth that she's had over like the years being at yeah, SNL. Her like evolution. I can see the work that's gone into that and it's like it's great. Yeah, she's she's I think at like over fifty impersonations. Mm-hmm. And they're all wonderful. Um she's also been a featured entertainer at the two thousand fifteen White House Correspondents Association dinner. And she's held other like big roles including um Ghostbusters, The Awesomes and Scream Queens. Um now Josh, I don't know what kind of doctor Josh is, but I think he's an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, he that was is my guess. Some, some, something. I was like, "Have you ever seen Private Practice?" Yes. Like he was an Addison. Something with cutting and surgery and microscopic okay, all things. Of them, all of the okay, Addison, you know, is from Gray's. Yes. Private practice is so they're all surgeons, but I really well, yeah. think I really think he's an orthopedic. Um, if anybody knows, let us know because I. I was kind of intrigued, but he's played by Keegan Michael Key. I love him. I love him. And the fact that he is going to be on this journey with us, I am so excited. Um, he is obviously one of the masterminds between behind Key and Pill. Um, he's been in Playing House. Whose line is it anyways? tons of years on mad tv he was in the lion king remake as one of the hyenas he's been in toy story 4 um the lego movie pitch perfect 2 i mean his list just goes on and on and on and he's also done some broadway stuff he made his debut in 2017 in meteor shower as gerald but he is another just brilliant comedic actor and i think that's one thing that's so great is you see these two comedic people and you're like oh well this is going to be a comedy like you know when you were explaining to me the premise behind the show i really expected a drama like Hmm. i really expected okay that old glamorous musical vibe it's going to be more like classic and there's going to be I mean, it it does have romance, but you know, like I was thinking, it's going to be a little bit more dramatic. Like seriously, like the classic, not uh, not a parody of the classics. Yes, and so I I see them, and I'm like, oh wait a second, there's no way this is a serious thing. That like this is going to be funny. Oh yeah, and he was (laughs) seeing the actually the interview that he had on Colbert. Actually, where I found out about this, he was talking about it was like there multiple times while filming, he would just be outside like. On this, he's like, you, they were like, you can't do that. You don't like it. You got to stop moving. <laughs> because he loves musical theater just as much as everybody else. That would be so hard. Well, like we said, the two of them, they meet by mm-hmm. kicking in. A vi- she's trying to get something out of the vending machine. He advises her to kick it. She's a little bit like, eh, I don't, I don't know. She gives in. She does it anyways. The vending machine just spills out everything. Like it doesn't just let go of her um, Snickers bar. It every item starts flowing out. 
and that was it. They fall in love and goes it from there. It was a sign they... from God. And then you fast forward to their one year anniversary, which is her being super, super sweet and romantic. And she feels like he's not doing enough. And then he surprises her with the dessert tray at the restaurant being like a smorgasbord of all the things that they got from the vending machine. And then it fast forwards again to like their three year anniversary and they're laying in bed. She is watching a musical because her character enjoys musical theater and he's like covering his head with the pillow and she's trying to get him involved. But you can, you can tell right then and there that they're no longer at the place that they were at year one, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like one, that is what all couples go through. You go through ebbs and flows and you get to a point where if you're not careful, you're going to be stuck in a rut. So I, I liked that they showed that. I like that they, they showed, you know, that, in just a matter of seconds. And I kind of think yeah. it's cool that they showed it to you so fast because time does go by. And the, yeah, and the pacing so of this, this first scene is very musical theater of we're here and then we're here. This is the prologue. Very mm-hmm. kind of like at the beginning of Wicked, the beginning of a lot of the musicals where it's like, I've got to get you caught up where we are. And then now we're yeah. into the story. But I want to go back and talk about like the, those, those three moments individually. And like, so like, if imagine one night you're at, at working at the hospital at UAB and that that happened to you, you you ran into this tall, dark, and handsome man, and this is like you you just graduated college and this happened mm-hmm. and you like mm-hmm. came and you kicked in and all of this candy came out. I don't think that that would warrant me sleeping with him, but he <laughs> might he, he might would get a date. I don't know. <laughs> You're like I don't know how big of a sign that really is. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, looking back, you know, I probably was a lot like Melissa. I mean, James, um, James is my husband. Um, but we met in 2014. It was our senior year of college, and when we first met, he was the nicest guy. He was so sweet. He was so thoughtful, and I just remember thinking like what is like he is such a dork like what does he want like I okay thank you you're nice hi have a nice day (laughs) and then um it it was just one little magical moment like that that just made it click like nope he's my guy so I do think that that thing those things sort of happen maybe not night one and definitely not over a Snickers bar but I don't know (laughs) And I and I will say this, we'll get into, like, we've mentioned a leprechaun is going to be the one that kind of tells them their fate. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that later on. But I almost feel like this flooding of vending machine candy is, like, foreshadowing something. Like mm. the pot at the end of the rainbow. You know, mm. in musical theater, they're always... Always there are always lines. little, yeah, there's always little signs at the beginning to get you full circle. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing I thought of when I saw the leprechaun was, okay, somehow. You said they're going to tie this somehow together. They're, they're going to. That's <clears> their, you know, that it was a rainbow of candy. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and then the second, uh, so then the second time is when they're on the date. 
this I have personally, thankfully, I have never been in this situation, but I have been in the proximity of this situation from other people before, and it can be a very cold situation when when one is like, oh, I love you, and the other one's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was me. <laughs> really? I would not have expected that. The first time James told me he loved me, I told him thank you. Mm-hmm. I think... I think I finally returned it like a month and a half later. I mean, he he obviously wasn't upset like Melissa is, but um, he was very respectful and understanding, but I just, I wasn't ready to say it. So I didn't say it. Mind you, I feel like my situation was different. I truthfully believe that Josh isn't saying it because Josh doesn't feel it. Yeah. I think he wants to, and he just, he just does it. And I think he's he tries to make up for it with the the sweet gesture of having all of those fending machine candies there and present. But he notice he still never does say it. But he never says it. Mm-hmm. And that I my heart did kind of break for Melissa because I I do know especially girls I feel like we progress in relationships a lot faster mentally and emotionally than guys do we get to that point of like being ready for marriage and being ready for the next steps often before our counterpart does and I I feel like that's a little bit of what's happening here and I I don't know I feel like she's kind of in that like oh we came together in a magical way so it's fate like it's it's fate and once you feel like something is fate it's hard for you to Mm -hmm. to back away from it and so i think she's missing some of the signage there that maybe josh isn't really all that into you just just maybe just maybe but i don't know yeah yeah because like i I could definitely see the one of those situations where it's like yeah she saw it as this is a sign of fate this is my man and he saw it as oh this is a sign that we might can have some fun and yeah yeah oh this fun is now continuing for longer than i thought yeah because yeah because it was uh we we it, it isn't we don't they don't show that until episode two but at the beginning of episode two when they show her them in bed and he's like, "Oh, this weekend, you know, we'll take it step by step." It's like, and then all of us, and then as soon, but as soon as he says that, she's automatically like, "Yeah, I mean, and who knows? It could be, it could be a day, it could be forever." And she's like, "Oh, I'm ruining it." He's like, "Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah." So it's like you, you, you kind of really see they were not on the same page from the beginning, right? It's one of those things where like he was telling her what he knew she wanted to hear, mm-hmm. and she was just hearing what she wanted. Yeah. To hear, yeah. Well, it's very, it's very that kind of. I don't know, I don't know if it's a cliche, but like that, uh, you know, men say "I love you" to get sex, and women have, have sex to get "I love you," and that yeah, kind of. Yeah. Not me, but. <laughs> She's like, I have women. sex to have sex. That's what that's, for. <laughs> that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> No, um, no, she, no, knowing your mother, your mother be proud. 
She probably would. <laughs> now I have to apologize to like my mother-in-law because she is just a class act. And she sorry, is. sorry, Mama Nunnally, love you. Um, <laughs> and then when you get to their three-year anniversary mark, okay. So I do have a question: What musical are they watching in bed? So that is that is. Either singing in the rain or Brigadoon. I wasn't. I I don't remember exactly, but it's that's Gene Kelly and I want to say it's singing in the rain. See, I thought singing in the rain, but then I also thought Brigadoon too because to me, Brigadoon Gene is Kelly like was also in Brigadoon. I can look it up and see. Is I I hope it's Brigadoon. Anyways, I that I, would make I, the most sense. I hope it's Brigadoon because this whole show is basically. Brigadoon. Correct. And then it's like, oh, then this, this, and then who knows are they going to pull a hole? This is all wrapped up in her brain, kind of like a, did you watch WandaVision? I watched bits and pieces. But like how, how she like created her whole thing because she yeah. watched. Is it going to be the one yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Like, are, is she going to, yeah, that's true too. Um, and the other thing I noticed in that scene were, the books on her nightstand Mm -hmm. and how she's like obviously they're having a lot of issues like the the first book on the stand is 27 steps to a great relationship so Mm -hmm. obviously and they they stay on that book for a hot moment so you can read the entire title so you you can so you can see what the title is like obviously we are meant to know that they're having issues but i also love this scene because it really does set up that she loves musical theater and Josh doesn't because that is a clear cut theme throughout the rest of this episode and in episode two. And so it is to me um, really nice that they added that little touch in there that she's up late watching this movie in bed and he's covering his ears and is like, no, make it, make it stop. Um, And once again, she's eating that Snickers bar. Yeah. And so the movie yeah, is singing in the ring. It's a, I remember it now. Yeah, it's from Singing in the Rain. Because um, I recognized, because Debbie Reynolds. Um, but yeah, so it's like... Boo! Missed opportunity there. It should have been It should have been Brigadoon. It should have been Brigadoon. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe they didn't do Brigadoon because maybe they didn't want people to think it was a, oh, she watched the movie and then fell asleep and this is all in our head. Maybe. Because it is. Because even though the like... Because what's interesting is like yes, the a lot of the story and even you, you see a lot of the like the Scott um, um, pattern in a lot of things, and obviously Schmigadoon is based off the title Brigadoon. However, like I feel like a lot of the music, a lot of it very heavily references Oklahoma actually. Like the I, whole opening title song is Oklahoma. Is Oklahoma? Yes, I think I think it. I, it's crazy because I saw so many references to so many great shows. Because um, it's like, is this Schmigadoon or Oklahoma? It'll eventually something will play. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Compared to this is the opening of Schmigadoon. Yeah. Yeah, the same. Literally exactly the same. So, you know, 
but I think, but it's done in a way that I think is because I don't want to say it's not it's not plagiarism. It's definitely on the side of because number one is parody, but it's also definitely on the side of a tribute to not like you oh know. yeah i think i think this whole show is a nod to mm-hmm. the to the greats i don't think it's a you know like a diss or a or a try to steal i think it's in a lot of ways it's like a thank you mm-hmm. like for getting us to where we are now yeah but we're also gonna also make fun of of the silly things yeah. that you all believed in. yeah Cause gotta, because 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 and to be great, you know, and to be honest, it's like as a music theater writer, I hope that later on my content is relevant enough that people want to make fun of the silly things we believe in now. You, you want to know. know that you made a place, mm-hmm. a big enough place, to where it can still impact entertainment yeah. some way in. 50 60 years yeah people are like eh, you know oklahoma and this is like they're simple i'm like but people are still doing them and be, 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 you know as they say they're still being talked about so then you know who cares they still are being talked about they're still relevant <laughs> well, let, let's move on to the next part so we know that their relationship is strained and mm-hmm. melissa thinks Oh, I know. And you know, it was her idea. This was not Josh's idea. Yes. Melissa thinks, let's have some fun at a couple retreat. Um, Let's rekindle this romance. Let's do some, some bonding time. And they end up at Sacred Heart Love Trail um, as a way to disconnect with the world and reconnect with each other. So they're there. They're supposed to go on this hike and carry around stones that are shaped like hearts with each other's name on it. And that is where Josh has found himself by not loving musicals and more importantly, loving Melissa. He has found himself here. (laughs) And it's like, this is definitely something I could see somebody from Lowe's Mill like running this like the Lowe's Mill Art Center in Huntsville, like running this in like, on like Montesano. <laughs> yes. Well, the one thing that the man said that stuck with me the first time I watched it, not so much because we've each watched through the episodes mm-hmm. several times in preparation for this. But the first time I watched it, I didn't think anything of it. And then the second time I heard this next line and I thought about it. And then the third and fourth time I was like, I kept fascinating, which is him saying, um, you guys be careful. People have died out there. And my whole thought is, are the people who died out there, the people of Schmigadoon? Hmm. These are all like, people that go on the retreat and get lost into Schmigadoon and, and they lost. eventually just integrate. And they, and they like, don't, almost they like no a, a midsummer kind of a like. <laughs> yeah. And they no longer remember it. And maybe, like, I don't want to give too much away because we will get to it. But, and when we get there, I'll, I'll reiterate it. But, you know, the mayor obviously is not happy in his relationship. Oh, yeah. Well, He's, and because Alan Cummings is, is wonderful. There's, there's so many layers going on. There's obviously, you know, the layers the writers have written in. Of, you know, he's, you know, that kind of closeted gay mayor that, you know, is I'm yeah, happy and cheaper. It's very kind of the mayor from Suzical almost. But then there's also, which Alan is then adding some more layers in, if he's also not only playing this kind of closeted gay mayor, but the older kind of like show chorus boy who's been in shows, you know, oh, year after year. And like that, that finally is the mayor is his big role. And, you know. 
Right. But is he a closeted mayor because he's now trapped in this world where because he got lost on this? I don't know. I just that is just a question that is in the back of my mind now. Yeah. Like, and it's, and however, I will who, say don't you. However, I by the way, the show is going so far. I don't know if they will ever actually explain why they're there. I have a feeling it, they might pull a, oh, it's musical theater kind of a thing and be like, you know, you know how sometimes they're just like, oh, it just it happens. Like it's it just, it just, it's just there. It doesn't make sense. There. I know. But the, the like psychologist side of my brain wants to think that these people aren't dead. They're just trapped there too. And we'll, well yeah. figure it out. Well, I was like, because I also thought, oh, what if it's, you know, some anomaly happens where, where this schmigadoon thing is. And all the people that have died are just couples that are still trapped in their schmigadoon. They're like yeah. universe of schmigadoon. Because yeah. it's like, it's almost like they treat it almost like they've gone into a parallel universe. Because if you notice... um, you know, they obviously they see the bridge across, and then as they start to kind of go across the bridge, they um, the music changes as they go through the fog, and they're immediately no longer wet; they're like dry all. And then, if you notice, every the back the background is obviously now a backdrop; everything is fake. So it's almost like yeah. they walked into some other dimension. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to that same aspect, it's. Like the townspeople of Schmigadoon were waiting for them, you know, mm-hmm. like they, they, they weren't just like, there was not one moment of them looking around and being like, oh, hey, there's new people. It was bam. Hi. How are you? We're singing. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, everything is core. So, I mean, it's like down to the fact of like, there's later on in episode two when Melissa dances with um the, 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 um, Aaron Tevet's character, I can't think of it, the Danny Bailey character. Danny Bailey, um, yeah. He has a second hat. I, you notice it in a couple of shots, like maybe about three minutes before, but he already has a hat pre... I mean, granted, I know in real life they just put that in there probably because it made life easier, but he has a second hat prepared in his back pocket. And, and all of it is almost almost too choreographed for them. And it's almost like, yeah, like they were waiting for this. Like this was... All, like this was mm-hmm. They were meant to find the bridge. They were meant to go across. Um, right. And like this was almost created just for their situation. Right. Well, let's get to how they found um, they found the bridge. So they, they go on this trail and um, it starts storming and it's raining and they're fighting. And their whole premise of fighting is because Josh has lost the heart with Melissa's name on it. And for Melissa, that is a you don't care. You're not invested. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you've, you've been checked out for a while now. Um, so that, that's kind of where they get. And I love the whole, like, oh, can you hear? I hear bells. Yeah, I hear them too. Oh, you can hear them too. And he's like, how many bells are you hearing that other people aren't? Like, I love that whole little like sequence of lines there. It's just, it's just really funny. And, and then, yep, they, they, see the bridge and they cross over into the beautiful very very heavily musical theater sound stage set mm-hmm. town of schmigadoon and i just want to say like you said in the beginning you and i are all about that golden age of 
um, Broadway, which is that 1940s to 1960s era of shows. Um, this really, the whole thing from start to finish just screamed Rodgers and Hammerstein. Mm -hmm. The whole thing screamed that to me. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Richard Rogers was a um, composer, and he and his partner, um, Oscar Hammerstein, who was like a lyricist, they combined um, and wrote all these incredible shows. Um, some of the big ones are, of course, Oklahoma, which was their number one show. Um, it was the first show that they ever did together, um, their first collaboration, and it, it went on to like have over over 2000 Broadway performances, like super successful show. They're also the ones responsible for Carousel, um, for South Pacific. They're responsible for The King and I. They're responsible for The Sound of Music. All of these shows are heavily referenced. Mm -hmm. Like you can find little pieces of all of these big shows throughout Brigadoon and I mean, throughout Schmigadoon. See, I'm getting myself all tied <laughs> up because they're all one. Yes. But you can see them all throughout um, the episode. And it made my heart so happy. I love, don't get me wrong, I love the modern day shows that we have. I love the, the way that writers are mixing like what's culturally relevant to us today in with their shows. And they're making things like musically different like we're getting more into the hip-hop i mean H hamilton was mm -hmm. all rap you know like it was and it was a phenomenon and i loved that but there is just something that is just so great about that era of musical theater oh there's i mean the, and especially they highlight a couple of moments there's a couple of moments that will when we get to those songs that i'll play that they highlight that i mean this this chorus came to sing and they are yes. singing, and I'm very happy about that. Yes, yes. So, um, sorry, let me ensemble. Um, ensemble. Not the chorus, yeah. the chorus, <laughs> and I'm more. It's the ensemble. <laughs> well, um, like we mentioned before, the whole show, and you see it about this part, is is essentially it's a renewed version of Lerner and Lowe's Brigadoon, mm -hmm. um, which tells the tale of two American tourists who stumble upon a mysterious Scottish village, um, which appears for one single day every 100 years. So kind of the same premise. Here we are in just middle of nowhere. A mysterious little town has appeared and we are good to go. And, and that's kind of set it up. But I mean, the opening song, um, there are so many references in that. I mean, like you said, Oh, I think Oklahoma is the, mm -hmm. the biggest, the biggest one. The song is a parody to Oklahoma's opening number. And it's it's very similar in the melody, as you've already played. The hyper-elongated vowels in the, mm -hmm. in the um, singers. I mean, and especially, like, where it really gives it away is in that end. That chanting of the shmiga, 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 shmiga. Mm -hmm. And the it's spelling of shmigadoon, you know, that is... Exactly, Oklahoma. This part. Yeah. 
Which is yeah, literally how. Which the is literally Sugar how Dunes Shmigadoon Dunes ends. ends. <laughs> literally, they end the exact same. But I also saw, um, I also saw a little bit of Camelot in there. Mm-hmm. I saw that primarily when. Um, what is okay? So she's referenced as two names. She goes by Margaret and Mildred. So which one is it? Who in the show? Is it Mildred or Margaret? The you mean uh, whose character? You mean um, the the uh, um uh, um Kristen Chenoweth's character. Well, let's see what I think the it's internet Mildred, says. But I also think it's Margaret. For Mildred reason, sounds think, right because it sounds. I think older. it's. I think she introduced herself as Mildred. But I think I read somewhere that her name is no? Mildred oh, and Margaret. It is Margaret slash Mildred. But she introduces herself as Mildred, so I'm not sure what that means. I think maybe she plays another character at some point named Margaret. At some Margaret, point, so we'll figure that out. Well, right she now, gets changed and she well, right changes. now she's Mildred, she's so Mildred, don't know. Anyways, um, I heard it a lot when she starts to discuss how the town runs on their Christian values. Um that just that very like these are our laws these are what we do and you know the opening title to camelot is a lot like that as well it's like here are the rules of camelot this is why we are camelot this is who we are and i also heard it when mayor minlove is introducing himself a little bit um the song also has that same rhythm and introductory structure that camelot's opening number has so we're you know a whole I, I don't know and to me also the fact that it's like Schmigadoon and then Camelot and I know Brigad I know Schmigadoon is based off Brigadoon but Camelot's also a, a weird name to name a musical after so they just both sound a little bit bizarre so there we go but mainly because just the way they're laying down those laws I also heard a little bit of Lil Abner in there mm-hmm. um in the the opening, like when they're first walking in, the chirping of the birds, the like magical stance is just very similar mm-hmm. to the chirping of birds in the be- beginning of It's a Typical Day in Lil Abner. Um, and the ensemble sound, sound like them, once again, introducing the town, introducing who they are, um, to me was very, very, very similar. And I... I I don't know. I know this show has nothing to do with this, but I just, my little, my little high school heart, whenever I see shows where people are introducing their characters, I am just, I am once again, the drowsy chaperone in, (laughs) in the drowsy chaperone. And I am just taken back to, to our opening number with that. But I, I do, there are so many good little tidbits and like it's just the first song and i think that's what really sold me was this first song mm-hmm. and it's it's not just chunks of this combined it's like layers of things like we'll get more into that when we get later too into the song danny bailey sings but it's like three or four or five things at the same time you know and it's yeah very well layered yeah and i i i also think that the added chanting at the end that like Oklahoma schmigga 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 I think that not only is that a nod and like a little hello to Oklahoma I also think it was a way for them to add that little extra bit of torture to Josh 
-hmm. like just that extra fine layer of we are gonna get you you're gonna hate us but that's okay i i mean well it's very that like you know when you go to school for musical theater it's very that i was saying i was like this is somebody's good money that went to Carnegie Mellon paying off here because this is exactly what you go to to musical theater school to do. I mean, all the way down to the fact that like all of them were wearing Leducas, which is the, you know, the 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 like the 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 most or it's it's the brand that most Broadway houses use in terms of their shoes, um, and it's a house that here, but it's they're rather expensive. Um, but it's like it's 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 like very like this is what you kind of go to school for musical theater for, and it's very that it's I was rewatching it and and, and crack what was cracking me up was that kind of that musical theater face that like of every moment of that yeah that musical theater face and yeah. like especially <laughs> the moment when they're having the fight and they like pop out from behind him and they just like it it, it cracks me up every single time and I, I and I love that. I- they're 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 playing into that and also too like the whole blind the whole blind casting comment um which it's like i think also this is a purpose like yeah it's blind casted but also blind casted of like a lot of Broadway musicals where it's like still mostly white a few token black people here and there and then maybe a vaguely asian person in the back yeah yeah i do have one question Mm -hmm. about this first song who is pete the like male, so we see him like we see him sitting. He has like the male guy. Because later on, after so after the mayor song, when he throws the stone and he gets hit in the head, Pete gets They're hit like, in the head. Sorry, Pete. Yeah, but later yeah, on, we see him sorry, at the basket, and he has like a a rock mark on his forehead. So like they carry the oh through line. Oh my gosh, I missed. That. And so so Pete is the guy that's sitting next to. Um, Josh at the be- picnic basket with the, like milkman hat. That. I I yeah. Well, I mean, I I missed the the rock mark. That's so <laughs> funny because the whole time, like every time I watched, I'd be like, oh, Pete, Pete, you know, like. <laughs> but that's how those musicals are. It's always that one person. We always had that one person. We know who that person was for us who played the electrician. Um, that that you know who? was always the Pete. Well. I'm thinking you know of... who played the electrician in the show you referenced earlier, if in high school that we were both in, and was very sad because I got the part that he wanted and he didn't get it. David, yeah. shout <laughs> out to David Pete. Savage. Shout out to David <laughs> Savage. You were our Pete, and I mean that in the most <laughs> loving way. <laughs> poor, poor David. I, you know. Okay, next, (laughs) next. Um, So they've they've done this huge, beautiful introduction to our town, our town, because we are now all citizens of Schmigadoon. Um, And we get introduced first to Mayor Minlove and his wife, Florence. Now, Mayor Minlove was, as you mentioned earlier, he is played by Alan Cumming, um, who has many, many, many film and theater credits. Um, some of his films include Spy Kids, which I have to admit, every time I watched it, all I saw was Fegan Floop from Spy Kids. <laughs> like, I just, I see, and it doesn't matter what he's in, I see him and I think Fegan Floop. 
So there's there's that. Um, but he's also been in Golden Eye, Son of the Mask. Um, some of his theater credits include Endgame with Daniel Radcliffe, um, the Three Penny Opera, and Cabaret, in which he won a Tony for. Um, and then his wife Florence Minlove is played by Anne Harada, who is best known for her time in Avenue Q, where she originated the role of Christmas Eve. Um, but she's also performed in the Broadway showing of Les Mis. Um, she was in the original cast of Nine to Five as Kathy. And she was on one of our favorite shared mm-hmm. shows, Smash. Which I wish as she had gotten Linda. to sing more on that show. But yeah, <laughs> well, 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 anyway, she's from Smash. Um, she played Linda, the, the stage manager of a show within a show, which is basically now she's the mayor's wife on a, a show, within, show a show. within a show. Um, their relationship. All already the first big giveaway to me that he was probably more closeted than anything else was the whole um when they're talking about the inn and she goes we stayed there on our honeymoon we didn't get much sleeping that night you know because of the roosters in the back and i was like oh so y'all wasn't doing nothing on your honeymoon. <laughs> you know y'all were just listening to some roosters <laughs> and oh i was like okay so and and his facial expression alan coming is very good in all of his roles oh yeah very playing off of he he feeds off of everybody else so beautifully and his his body language and his facial expression when she said that like you could tell it was un- the thought of them being intimate was uncomfortable for him he just played that so so beautifully so beautifully um and i love that he's a mayor that is going un like opposed again there's nobody running against him again but well and that's like a thing of those those the thing the mayor is just always the mayor there's never any you know nobody ever questions it's just the mayor yeah but everybody loves a button <laughs> and quickly behind him comes um mildred who um as i said before was listing a lot of rules she is the pastor's wife um, which is Reverend Layton. Um, Mildred is played by the one and only Kristen Chenoweth. Um, I wrote in my notes, literal queen. <laughs> like, literal queen. Um, she's a Tony Award winner for her role of Sally Brown. And you're a good man, Charlie Brown. She is the original Glinda in the musical Wicked. And the only reason why she didn't win an award for that is because her co-star, Adina Menzel, won it for her portrayal of Elphaba. So I guess, you know, she still won because it's the same show. Um, you know, if you're going to lose to somebody, might as well be your co-star. Yeah. Um, she's had a ton of other Broadway roles. She's also widely known um, for her roles in various musical films like Annie and the music man. And she's had successful recurring roles in series such as Glee, Pushing Daisies, and The West Wing. Um, Reverend Layton, her husband, is played by Fred Armisen, and he's another well-known cast member of Saturday Night Live. He's also done voice work for Netflix's Big Mouth, and he's had various roles on TV comedies such as The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I love that show, and Parks and Recreation, another one of my favorites. But, I mean... Can, can I just say, like, we're 
six characters in like of actually knowing you know talking to and what an outstanding cast i know like, and also to the fact that they, they hired all mostly like at least everybody that's singing is a musical theater person i was like thank you not you know yeah not yeah, casting yeah. A bunch it's of people who stars have a, who yeah. can do the part you know right well um yeah i agree i think i just think that their casting for this was insanely well done um I love Kristen Chenoweth in anything, but I also love to see her play these roles where she's like a little colder and meaner because mm -hmm. she is so bubbly and she's just like, like when you see her talking on interviews or anything, she is just like a big ball of energy. And so to see her portray this judgmental hag, like that is what the character of Mildred is. Like Mildred started talking and I was like, I don't like you. I mean, it's it's Eulalie McKechnie-Shin from Music Band. It's um it's it's a lot of those women. And but yeah, I I agree. I love seeing her play these roles and cuz also too, she's so feisty in this little package. Yeah. Um and this little tiny this little tiny person. Yeah. Well, she she comes in um ready. I mean, she's just ready to let them know her role in the town she is like i feel like every musical like this and every show like this there's always that mayor that you said that's always the mayor but there's always that woman in the town that kind of pulls the mayor's strings mm -hmm. you that sometimes is it's the mayor's wife but then sometimes it's the this i i i see why they separated it this time um but yeah it's um because oftentimes I feel like a lot of times too. Sometimes it is the mayor's wife that is that woman, um, but this time. But it also it often also often can be the minister's wife. The minister's yeah. wife will come in and take over, and yeah. Well, very quickly she made it known that she did not agree with their relationship. She, I, she tries to play it off as because it's not they're not married. Mm -hmm. You know, she plays it off with the whole no wedding rings. I, I presume, but it's very clear. That it is not only the wedding rings, but also that he's black and she is not. Well, and like he says, his line of, you know, it didn't seem like she likes our blind casting. Our blind casting, yeah. Um, and I, I feel like it is important, you know, for shows to, like, address stuff like that. I mean, you and I are both in interracial relationships and... We know, we know what it's like. I mean, it's, it's so crazy because I tell James all the time, our kids, the kids who are going to be biracial are the kids of the future. Like one day there will be one race. Like yeah. I just know it. It may be a hundred years from now, but we're going to get to a point where more and more, like it's just, it's almost inevitable for you to, not see more and more and more of these mixed races and um but there's still that much like prejudiced against them in the world i mean I we have um some neighbors i hit their mailbox okay long story anyways i hit their mailbox not too long ago and the car was fine Car was fine. I was fine. Mailbox total. Um, <laughs> and 
they it's it, they were upset with me I mean they didn't even ask if I was okay they just wanted to know if I was going to pay to fix their mailbox and they were even harder on James and I about it when hmm. they they were a black couple but they were even harder on James my husband when they found out that he was my husband because and I know it was because they were like so you're with this little <laughs> uppity white girl really you know like they like it was very known like oh that's that so so that's your husband hmm. yeah oh, okay and I mean some and sometimes it's the reverse sometimes people are really nasty to you and like until they realize that your partner is the same race as they are you know they they like automatically go into defense mode and then they see like oh no 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 okay well you're you're not a bad guy because you're married or you're dating you know xyz but um long story i went on a rant but the, my whole point was to say there are still people just like that and i loved that they made that person in the town the person who has an issue with that i love that she's the preacher's wife because on a deeper level, I think it shows us some of the issues that are going on in our churches, the issues that are going on. And I, I have a lot of people that ask me, like, why don't young people want to come to church? Like, do they just not believe in God? And I'm I'm like, no, I mean, it, it, it's not that they don't believe in God, but they don't believe in a God that ridicules and judges mm -hmm. their every single mm -hmm. move. Yes, that. And no, it's like, it's very, but it's like, of course, now we've, we've gotten off of this, but this, and I'll, I'll wrap it up real quick, but they, it's like, yeah, no, they, people are going to church. It's just, they're not going to your old stingy traditional church. So, but that's all There's I'll There's a difference in Christianity and religion, you know, yes. so, so, and, and Mildred is a very religious Yes. woman we'll just say it as that and then you can tell she wears the pants in her in her relationship too because reverend layton is <laughs> as dumb as bricks like i can barely sorry my dog was looking at me i thought she got sick again um i i was watching him and i was like oh honey you are <laughs> so dumb yeah which fred almison plays those characters wonderfully vacant just yeah vacant that's the best word for it vacant well they um they meet and they have this little interaction and they decide they're gonna walk over to the inn because why would they not just stay one night here right i mean they're already here they're tired they're exhausted they've been walking in the rain so of course all they're walking over to the inn and we get our first little glimpse of Danny Bailey, who we will get into greater detail later, but he is the town carny and Mildred is very quick to tell Melissa, don't even bother with him. Like we, our town would be so much better without people like him. And mm -hmm. um, I think we'll, we'll see more of why as the show goes on. Um, but well, it that's this, very... he, he. His character comes almost straight from Brigadoon. He's the the, the yeah. antagonist for Brigadoon, and but he's also curly at the same time, and also a little bit of Judd, and a little bit, you know. So he's all he's yeah. like all of those like 
pretty white male that like and 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 I don't mean this to to, to sound mean but like Aaron Tevet who <clears throat> who's playing Dan Denny Bailey him him and Gavin Creel do this kind of like average white stylized male from the 40s musical very well they do it very very well but it's like yeah. very that kind of all of the average white male leads in some form that are tenors yeah yeah i put down that danny is um like every other dreamy brooding but unintimidating bad boy mm. <laughs> like they're bad they're supposed to be a bad boy but they're just not intimidating at all yes um well they they go to the inn and they walk in to check in and here comes mildred behind them letting the guy at the front desk know oh they're gonna have two rooms they're not sharing you know the town laws two rooms and um i think she's more or less implying not so much the standards of the town, but the standards that she has for the town. Like, I don't really think the town people would care. No, um, and it's it's quite obvious she's like a lot of people and politicians and everybody, you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, curb curb the will of the people, the town's laws to what she wants. She's burnt the books and later on we find out and did all this. So there's, I feel like there's more to her story that we're going to learn about. Right. And I maybe that's too. why she has two names, because I think something happens and maybe yeah. she something in her past to make her Mildred. And I just have to say, one dollar rooms? Like it was a dollar. And and I know Well that that's very that, that that's that that's the that would I guess economically that's, that's that era, mm-hmm. economically that's that era. But, but I love that little um tidbit, but I also thought how much would you travel if a room was only a dollar? Because I'd be all over. Yeah. You could not stop me. I would probably, once again, let me apologize to my mother-in-law and also maybe my husband. I would probably start stripping for dollar bills <laughs> if hotel rooms were only Well, we also have, I feel like you and I like <laughs> hotel rooms more than most people, though. We have, like, a thing. We do. We are the type of people who, like, just enjoy being in a hotel room i don't know what it is i i tell my husband all the time like i get really excited when we go on a trip for the hotel room Mm -hmm. my dog is drinking out of the toilet so sorry she's not supposed (laughs) to be having any water so hopefully she's like well i'll find it somewhere yeah so i'm just gonna (laughs) let her do her thing if she throws up not my problem um her dad can clean it up again anyways We'll edit that out. Um, but yes, we we really, really, really love hotel rooms. I, I don't know. But anyways, Melissa and Josh, they agree to be okay and go along with the town's odd way of living for the night. So they get two separate rooms and they plan a date to ride the tunnel of love that they passed when they met Danny on the walkover. Um, but once again, Melissa is let down um time goes by josh doesn't show up and uh she walks over to find him sleeping so have you ever had that happen have i ever been stood up i 
don't know that I've ever been stood up. I have had people cancel very last minute. I've never just not had anyone show up. Um, I don't think I would have given them like a second chance if they had just not shown up on me. But I don't know. Have you ever been stood oh, up like that? Times. Many times, especially in the world of gay dating in the world, yes, many times. But, yeah. you know, you get used to it after a while. Yeah, well, you shouldn't get used to that. Um, well, Melissa, once again, that rough around the edges, I'm independent, I love you, but I can do this. She decides she's going to go to the Tunnel of Love alone. She's going to go out, she's going to explore the town, she's going to get her ride. And there she meets up with Danny Bailey again, who, as we, you know, mentioned before, they already passed cross. There was already some type of connection between the two of them when they were passing cross. I think that he was the, he was giving her that little bit of attention that she so desperately mm -hmm. wants mm -hmm. to have from Josh, like right from the beginning, he was hey beautiful how are you like let's have fun you know like i i want you kind of a thing and, and she she wants that type of attention yeah. um danny i think is a huge nod to carousel's leading man billy mm -hmm. bigelow i you know they're both the town's resident bad boy they're both that brooding masculine like i said non-threatening Bad well, even boy. in his song, there, it's like there's a section of it, the section he goes on about the kids, that's a reference to the soliloquy from Carousel mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. talking about a boy and a this and a that. I love that line, her line of, shouldn't the, shouldn't the children be for both of us? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he is played by Aaron. How do you spell, pronounce his last name? Tivet? Tivet? Tivet, I think. I think it's Tivet. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but he's originated many, many roles. Mm -hmm. um, and he's known for originating the musical theater roles of Gabe and Next to Normal. Frank Abagnale, Ab Abagnale Jr. in the stage musical version of Catch Me If You Can. And the role of Christian in Moulin Rouge on Broadway, for which he received... A 2020 Tony Award nomination for Best Actor in a Leading Role in a Musical and a 2020 Grammy Award nomination for Best Musical Theater Album. Um, he is also known for his TV work on shows like Gossip Girl, Graceland, and for playing Danny Zuko in Grease Live on ABC, ABC which he was so good at. I, I loved him in, as Danny Zuko. I loved him. I loved Grease Live, but um, yeah, he is this whole thing. And I, I really do think his scene is big carousel. I also saw carousel, you know, the bench scene in carousel with the blossoms yeah. falling down. Well, and it, it happens at a pretty practically in front of, well, in front of the Tunnel of Love, but you a carousel would also be at this amusement park, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're like, we don't want to be that on the nose, but you know. Yeah, I mean, tunnels of love go in circles. Carousels go in circles. Mm -hmm. They're both falling in love as go. Um, and here he is very much still trying to seduce Melissa. This whole scene is him, is, you know, him trying to seduce her. And it takes us into our next big musical number, which is You Can't Tame Me. Um, and it is 
a true, true musical theater nod to all the shows that portray a handsome man as falling in love only to sing about how he's going to be a bachelor for the rest of his life. Yeah, this is what we call, I mean, this is in BMI, which it, uh, I was in the, the BMI's musical theater workshop. We talk about um, this is, it's it's two things. It's, it's his character song, but it's also the, what we call the almost love song. Uh, you know, if I loved you from Caris, uh, from Oklahoma. Um, yeah. No, that's from Carousel. Um, almost like being in love from from Oklahoma. Um, Never will I marry from Green Willow. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like I mean, there's even that um, the section he sings later is directly from is the lead into if I loved you. Um, the 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 the, um, the part. Uh, that transitions between the section before the section from the soliloquy when he sings. Let me see if I can find it. Um, this leprechaun song can't tame me. Um, I think it's this section here. Is it pretty much from? And somehow I can see. Exactly how it'd be. And then, if you have If I Loved You from Carousel, literally. How do you know what? It almost said the same key, pretty much. <laughs> well, anyway, you don't love me. That's what you said, this. wasn't it? Mm, yes. Anyways, I won't bother you trying to find this. But anyways, it's very. If you listen to all of I, if I loved you in the beginning of it, it's literally exactly the yeah. same. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's so similar. And he's he's going around and he's he's doing that very like I'm charming and you know you like me, but mm-hmm. as much as I want you and as much as you want me, guess what? We just can't have each other. Yes. Because. I can't be tied down and I'm, I'm too much of a man. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it's funny. And I, what's so <laughs> funny to me is that how, is how many guys think like that in, at some point in their life, they go through this bachelor phase of, Oh, I just want all the girls, you know, like you're mm-hmm. cute. You're beautiful. Let's have fun. But let's not do anything serious. And I almost feel like he's the musical version of Josh. Hmm. The difference is they're both, they both want to be untied. They both want to just kind of live their own lives and have fun. But she's not seeing that because he's new and he's exciting. Mm -hmm. But he is a mirror of what Josh was night one. Yeah. But he's, he's again giving her those sound bites of what she wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting her until it's no longer exciting her because he does try to kiss her. Um, and Melissa feels like, okay, you're being a little too forward. This entire thing is weird. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to sleep. And, um, I love afterwards when he's says. like, when she's like, Oh, that was a nice song. And she's like, what song? 
Yeah, yeah, It's very yeah. like, when you meet a musical, you're not necessarily, when you break into song, it's a little bit into the psyche behind the thought of, like, a musical theater actor. You're not singing a song. You're, that is just the level of emotion that you're expressing. And so you're not necessarily singing. There's a difference between singing within the world of the musical and singing, you know, necessarily a song in a musical. Right. I, I And I truthfully feel like she... Um... I love I love the line um, where she said, oh, wow, I get a private show like she's just so unaware mm-hmm. still because they, they that, still don't know that they, they still think. Yeah, this is they some, don't know that like, this is just a Colonial Williamsburg like show. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he thinks. Um, so we're going to fast forward to the next morning. Melissa and Josh are at the diner, the cafe, whatever it is. Um, But they're they're talking about the night before. They're kind of Josh is kind of apologetic. I think Melissa feels a little guilty because she has just gone and hung out with Danny, and it was maybe a little bit more than it should have been. Um, But they decide, like you know, let's just let it go. Let's eat. And here we're introduced to Betsy the waitress, who is seemingly flirting with Josh. Um, she is Very played much. by Dove Cameron, who is best known for her Disney Channel roles of both Liv and Maddie in Liv and Maddie, um, and her role as Mal in the Disney Channel film series Descendants. Um, she's great. She has a beautiful voice. Um, yes, super does. sweet. Super great. Um, but we're introduced to her, and we are also introduced to uh, Corn Pudding, which is the town's... <laughs> this is what I call, like, the giddy-up song. There's always, like, a giddy-up kind of, like, um, in, like, Oklahoma, it's the song about Kansas City. Um, but there's always this, like, giddy-up kind of, like, Western song and all of... No matter where it's set, there's always this one song where... The, and the girls go back and forth with the guys and there's all this dancing. Um, I got Carousel again. I got a real nice clam bake. Mm-hmm. Um, just the townspeople. I mean, the, the entire opening of the second act in... And um, Carousel is the townspeople just talking about how nice the clam bake was. I mean, almost as if while we were on intermission, they had been enjoying this, you know, delicious um, feast. But it's silly. It's stupid. It's completely unnecessary, like, to the mm-hmm. plot. But it it makes a really good, fun time. It just adds that little... Um, element now have have you ever had corn pudding i've had cream corn which is probably relatively close so i've had corn pudding it's actually a family staple for mm. us at thanksgiving you're like oh these are my cousins <laughs> these are my cousins hey cousin <laughs> corn pudding is essentially okay you take cream corn mm-hmm. and you mix like cornbread mix, like jiffy cornbread mix into mm. your cream corn with some eggs and some sour cream. And you get this really runny 
you know, consistency, and then you bake it like that. So it fluffs up. It has this like cornbread topping, but this like creamy corn, just delicious. I mean, it's it is actually really good. But I I heard it and I just thought like, what a hilarious thing to be singing about. So um, I is this, am. Is this, is this just your family at Thanksgiving? And what's crazy is we're, um, it's like one of the dishes that people do ask for. Like my cousin will be like, Hey Lynn, are you making, you know, the corn pudding or whatever? And I'm like, yep. My sister, she loves it. She calls it corn casserole, but it's the exact same thing. (laughs) Um, Like stop being bougie. It's corn pudding. Yeah, I like, come on, it's corn pudding. But I I do, I do want the world to know that I will be making a musical production of just corn pudding, the song. My family and I, we will learn it. We will film you a video for Thanksgiving this year, dancing around my kitchen table, chanting for corn pudding. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We need more corn pudding. Um. But the song also has that like um papa feel from like Oliver mm-hmm. or the Shapoopy from Music Man. Um they're just great examples of like that absolutely unnecessary yet mm-hmm. jaunty tune. Like it's Well just- let's you know, BMI in terms of structure, it's what we call the moment of relief song because you can't have everything can't move the the plot along or the audience will get tired. So you kinda have to have these dips as the action continues to rise for the audience to kind of breathe and enjoy themselves for a moment, especially if there's heavy story. Right. Well, something big does happen in this song, which is Melissa sings. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's a way of showing us as the audience that she's more open-minded to this whole experience than Josh is, you know, it's, she's she's more welcome to it she thinks she still doesn't realize she's trapped yet but i think it's just showing us that right from the start she's more gung-ho and hey let's have some fun yeah no she's she's definitely more in this and well for right now as 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 things sits now she's definitely more in it than he is he's just ready to kind of get out of it um, but as we, as we start to transition and we get to the, towards the end up, so we see things maybe change a little bit. Yeah. 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 They definitely do. Um, well, Josh has had enough. Josh is like, I'm over this, 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 we just sat here and we just listened to an entire song about corn pudding and nope, we're getting out of here before they start singing again. We've got to leave. Um, so they pack up. They're walking. They get to the bridge. They go over the bridge. And they're staring Schmigadoon right in the face again. No matter which way they looked across the bridge, there was Schmigadoon. There was no way for them to leave. There's no way for them to get out. You look to your right, Schmigadoon. You look to your left, Schmigadoon. It's like some of the imp sets. You get stuck on stage and you don't know how to get off. With all those huge sets. You, you, you do feel like that sometimes. <laughs> you do. Or like in the old 
um, costume room at Lee, like the old one, like you would just get lost in fabric and costumes from the 80s. Like you didn't know where you were after about 10 minutes. Um, so there's that. And Josh is, they're doing everything they can to try to get out. And then all of a sudden, boom. A singing leprechaun comes. This singing leprechaun is played by Martin Short. Yes, the wonderful, wonderful Martin Short. Yes, he is also known for Saturday Night Live. There is a lot of Saturday Night Live uh, people in this show. Um, He's also known for his um, parts in The Three Amigos, Father of the Bride, The Santa Claus 3, Jimmy Neutron, um, and numerous Broadway shows like Goodbye Girl and Little Me, which he won a Tony Award for. Um, But he he comes in and he explains the magic and the curse of Schmigadoon to Josh and Melissa, which is that they can't leave until true love is found. Um, And they think, oh, well, we've got one over on you. I love you. Do you love me? And that's the first time we hear Josh say that he loves her. Mm-hmm. And it's because he needs something. Yeah. Again, you know, back to the mid say, I love you to get something. Yep. And he doesn't mean it, though. And you quickly know that because they try to leave and yet they can't. And that's the end of episode one. That's how it ends is them not to being able to leave and now realizing that they are stuck there in this in this musical town like they have now realized like these people this not is only is it a musical lives. but we are stuck here yeah like not only is this actually a musical but we can't get out what would you do if that moment happened and you you went across the bridge and, and you you really thought you loved this person you either you thought they loved you but then would you would you shake it off kind of like what what he's doing, or would you take a little bit more to heart like Melissa? Um, well, a big part of me wants to say it would depend. If I was in the situation where we'd only been dating a short amount of time, you know, like I might be able to just shrug it off like he is, but thinking about it in the terms of their relationship like if it were James and I you know we've invested almost seven years of our lives together I mean we've we've dated for six and we've been married now almost one um I can't believe it's been that long but we um if this were us and we were trying to cross that bridge and I realized the only reason why we couldn't get across was because it wasn't true love I think that I would be multiple things first i would be absolutely devastated how do you spend and invest that much time and love someone for so long for it to not be your one true love i also think i would be a little bit angry not just at him but at myself like i would Hmm. feel stupid that i was not aware that the feelings were not reciprocated that they were not on both sides Um, but I also think that it poses this question of does true love have to be with another person? Mm. Um, cause that was one of the questions I wrote down was at the end of this, do you think that they are going to end up being each other's true love? Like, 
you would assume in a musical, right? That Correct. that at the end they're gonna be happy together, or is their true love gonna be within themselves? Hmm. Like, is Melissa gonna have to learn to love who she is individually as a person? Like, does she find true love within herself? And I I don't know because I think that that hmm. is such a it's a hard place to get to in life when you can be so comfortable and so confident within yourself that no matter if you're with someone or you're not, you're still happy. Mm -hmm. Like it is hard to get to that place because we live in a world and a society that just pushes you towards marriage, towards starting a family, towards being with somebody. And that's just not everybody's journey and that's okay. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like a lot of it would, would honestly just depend on, on where I was at, but probably I'd be more, most like Melissa. What about you? Uh, I don't know. To be honest, probably, probably more like Josh's character in the sense of, I don't know what this weird land is anyway, so I don't know what their rules are. Like, what does it justify as love? And what it defines as love might be different from what I define as love. And so, I kind of more, it's more of a, okay, how do I play this game so we can get out of here? So, you would almost look at it like a, like, what does it, what difference is it anyways? Not necessarily what difference is it anyways, but knowing that this is not like the end-all, end-all, be-all definitive answer. Okay. You know. Yeah, like, at some point we're going to get out of this world and, you know. But I do, I do feel bad for Melissa because I feel like it's, it's kind of embarrassing to realize that, like, you've cared so strongly for someone and and this to me is evidence when someone shows you who they are you believe them mm -hmm. and he showed her who he was maybe not day one i feel like it's really you know it, that's a sticky situation because they they just met and just hooked up you know and she you know wasn't sure if it was gonna be a one-night stand but on that first anniversary, he showed her that that his intentions and that his feelings were not on the same level as hers. Yeah. And in that moment, you know, she should have. And how embarrassing is it to know that, like, your instincts were right? And you just didn't listen. Yeah. <sighs> it's is they're definitely dealing with some complicated feelings in here for sure for sure but we shall take a little bit of a break and then we can lie into episode two okay. sound good yeah all right we'll be back in just a moment
And we're back with episode two. Lynn, would you like to give us a little summary of episode two? Sure. So, um, immediately after discovering that they cannot leave Schmigadoon, Melissa and Josh get into an argument, not helped at all by the singing townspeople, which ends in them breaking up. Melissa goes on a walk where she finds Schmigadoon Mayor, Minlove, who cheers her up with a song heavily implying that he is in the closet. Meanwhile, Josh becomes interested in the fair-skinned, blonde, promiscuous waitress, Betsy, who offers her basket at the auction later on. Um, during the auction, Melissa becomes intoxicated on a spiked punch, and Josh wins Betsy. Um, Melissa auctions herself off and is won by Danny Bailey. And then later that evening, Josh becomes uncomfortable when he finds out he's dating a minor. And the evening is cut short by Betsy's father and his shotgun. You better start <laughs> proposing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love a good old country Shotgun character. wedding. What a great pun. <laughs> yes, and as someone from Alabama, that person does exist in real life. <laughs> <laughs> this episode... Um, was so good. I think I liked this episode better than the first. And oh I yeah, usually, it. usually, like you know, I usually try to give most things the grace of getting through the first. I mean, I I enjoyed the first episode of Spring Do, but like usually, like you get first to pass the first episode because there's a lot of introducing and setting up of rules first. But once you get to second episode, third episode, that's when things can kind of really start to. You know, really, I'm moving. opposite. I usually typically feel like you have to get closer to the end of season one, if not season two, before. And I guess I say that because I think of TV shows like we were talking earlier before we started recording about like The Office. Um, and, you know, I was talking about how like, well, The Office only had like six episodes, six or seven episodes their first season, and then they just took off. But if you're a fan of The Office, which I am a huge Office fan, you know, the one thing that you tell newcomers to the show is you just have to get through season one. Mm -hmm. You just have to get like season one. You are going to feel like you are dying. Get through it. And I <laughs> and I'm, so I'm like that with most shows. But with this show, I was like I like I said, I was really intrigued. Like, as soon as episode one ended, I was like, oh, I'm really happy episode two's already here. Like, mm -hmm. I'm really happy. It was I smart to release ahead. both of those together because they're only 30-minute episodes. So, like, it was smart to, like, release those two together. Because yeah. then I was like, okay, now I'm ready for the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I guess let's just get into it. So, um. An awkward wake up from their first, you know, night together. That is what we're into first. So we're back into real life. Um, yes. That's what, you know, we, we go to that and it is basically this awkward, um, I, hey, um, I don't know what you think last night was. Like, I don't know if it was just a one night stand and I don't know if it's going to be something more, um, which is, you know, Melissa, you know, she's like, but I I'm okay with whatever. I I'm okay with whatever. And um, Josh is like, you know, I don't know what this is going to be. It could be just last night. It could be a month. It could, could be forever. Well, he, and he does, he does say, he's like, I think this is more than just one night. 
Yeah. But... And I... And in that moment, my... My opinion of him... I still don't think he was ever on her level, but I... No, but I think he had good intentions. I don't think he necessarily was, you know... Right. I think at the beginning, he was hopeful. Yeah. And I'm hoping that somewhere we'll figure out why his hope in that relationship diminished or what was holding him back from getting to her level. Um, But they decide to take their relationship one day at a time. And the whole purpose of that you know, is to tie in how they're not each other's true love. You know, it's Mm -hmm. to show us that this like whirlwind romance that we thought they had wasn't really. Because when you watch the beginning of episode one, you just see them like, and it just, you see them have that night, that first night together. And then you see one year anniversary and you're like, oh, well, it just took off perfectly. And I think that this is just a little like reminder that, hey, like they are together, but it wasn't perfect. It wasn't. It wasn't where it needed to be from the beginning. I want to think, um, too, it's showing, too, that, you know, it's, it's also, even if it's not even to say that they're not each other's true love, but even just that, you know, part of it is one person is committing more than the other. And you kind of have to equally commit into a relationship for it to really work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's, I think that that's true. And so they have this awkward night. Um what happens next oh so yeah so they have that um that night we see them in real life but that kind of like that pretty quickly because it's just that moment where she has that moment and he's like and and it's like oh maybe this can be forever maybe this can be just for you know right now um and she's like even even she's still in that moment a little bit like oh but maybe it could be this and maybe that turns into a year and he's like okay you're ruining it and that kind of ends in turns back into them in, in Schmigadoon. Yeah. Um, sorry, guys. I'm, I'm dying a little bit. Um, I had my COVID vaccine, and it is kicking my oh, butt. Is. But um, anyways, so they're back in Schmigadoon present day, and Josh suggests that maybe this reveals that they're not each other's true love. And so it starts an argument. And this argument quickly attracts the town. Yes. They just somehow magically appear, which, which you know, tends to happen in musicals. There's a lot of things in musicals that are, you know, and I think this is a nod to how, like, you, you know, as someone's been in a musical, the ensemble will just kind of appear in situations or just start commenting in the middle of situations. And you're like, we don't know where they came from, but they're singing now. And here they are. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's almost like that that whole little like, you know how they say when you grow up or you live in a small town, everybody's in everybody's business. That's that's exactly what this is. Everybody's just in everybody's business. Um, but it takes us into this song, "Lovers Spat," um, which playfully references this wholesome, upbeat ensemble dance number about the rush of love it's very um similar to songs like there's nothing like a dame from south pacific or once a year day from the pajama game and then um especially especially with its like intricate dance sequences and the overly sunny outlook on like a not so sunny situation Mm -hmm. 
And like and like and like even referencing like seven I feel like there's a little seven bride for seven brothers. It's very that kind of um, large musical number. Uh, and it references a lot of things. There's even a little bit of music man in there with the quartet. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wrote that in here too. It has a very barbershop vibe. Sorry. <laughs> um, so um, the song is going on and they have all these funny like little jokes throughout it. My favorite favorite line from the series so far because there's only two episodes is the this is like the walking dead and glee <laughs> and she's like you watched glee. glee. i was like, like i was aware of it i'm aware of it <laughs> and then they have in this number one of let me see if i can find it one of musically one of the most is it right after that part one of the most musical this is the number two where i love their faces where the chorus is like then she said oh yeah they like do that pause and he said like I'm not I'm not doing this um but there's one of this moment in here where is it this moment here so beautiful and then to have that moment where it's it's you know, and I, I get mad at like the Ryan Ryan Murphy and all this stuff who puts on he would have put underscoring under this moment. But there's a the, it's very poignant to leave their very real fight without any musical theater ness under it. So you still feel that that's real. This is real emotion. This is not a musical number for them. This is something real that's yeah happening. for them. This is what they're going through in and, that moment. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like oh this is it, to have that moment where the music pulls you in and then then we have this real moment. And then as soon as that real moment is done, very musical theater fashion, just like the end of Oklahoma, oh, we just killed Judd. Oklahoma, Oklahoma. And, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> it's very, very that, like, um, we're still going to keep singing even though somebody's dead, practically. Right, right. Um, and throughout this, throughout the whole song, you see Josh, like, refusing to sing, refusing to mm-hmm. join in. And- I muted myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> but throughout this song, Josh is refusing to sing. He's refusing to um, to join in, which Melissa uses as an analogy for his behavior in their relationship. It's kind of like, a, of course, like, like, what does she say? She says something along the lines of like, of course, why would you, why would you join in now? Like you'd never communicate, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's, I think it's funny. I know this is James. The way they are fighting, this is James and I. James and I grew up in very different households in the sense of, like, my family, um, we just fight. Like, if some, like, we are very emotionally driven people. And I always tell people, whatever I am feeling, you know, that's what I'm feeling. If I'm happy, you know, I'm happy. If I'm sad, you know, I'm sad. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to let you know. It is always written all over my face. I wear all of my emotions on my sleeve. And when I argue, I am, I can't argue with my husband without crying. 
I angry cry, I sad cry, I happy cry. And my husband is very different. He grew up in a household where it's not so much that they didn't talk about things. He has a great relationship with his parents and his brother, but it was more like a, if there's no need to make a big deal about it, we're just not going to make a big deal about it. And I, everything in my, in my house was a big deal. Like everything mm-hmm. was a big deal. Someone didn't, didn't take the trash out and it was an argument that lasted three weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when we argue, we argue like, just like them. I am over the top. I am so dramatic. And he's just like, what, what are we even fighting about? Like this, this is, this is ridiculous. You know, like what, what's the fight? And I had to teach myself, I, my emotions are like this big, you know, they are huge. And it is so much easier for me to retract myself and meet him on his level than it will ever be for him to meet me on my level. Like you can't make people expand any farther than they just naturally expand. And I think that this whole little thing, like this is Melissa's trying to get him to give more than he can. He just isn't there. That's just, that's not him and he's not feeling it. And I think that in a lot of relationships, that's, one of the biggest mishaps yeah and i think he's very she's she's very in a place where she's like i want to figure this out everything that's happening to me right now at this moment he's like i just want to get out of here and then once we're out we can figure out what that is you know what i'm saying he's like my first point is just to get home you know and she's like well but i want to figure out everything now in the moment yeah and that that it's kind of like the um so my grandpa and my grandma they used to tell me that you know you don't fight in public right like if you and your spouse are upset with each other you wait until you get home and you deal with it when you get home but sometimes that's really hard to do like sometimes it is really hard to bite your tongue because you want to get to the bottom of it right then mm-hmm. you know like things are happening the, the emotions are there and you just have to do it. And I think that's where Melissa is. Melissa's like, no, like, I want to know why A, B, C, D, like we've been together three years and you don't love me. Like what's going on? What's wrong with me? Oh my gosh. Am I not get-? like her mind is running yeah. a million miles a second. And he's just stuck on, I can't be here. Like I, we've, we've got to get home and deal with this at home. But unfortunately, they're not getting home until this is somehow dealt with. Yes. Which they, as we continue through the episode, they have different approaches. Seems like Josh's is, let me try to figure out how to play in this game. And Melissa's just like, I'm just going to sit around until life, you know, leads me where I need to go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And this whole breakup leads them you know, Melissa to run off Mm -hmm. and she's wandering into the woods, which came out of nowhere because, you know, the set almost reminded me of like, it, it, and something about it that felt very like the woods in, 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 uh, the wizard of Oz. And also just, just the stylized way of it. It also felt very kind of into the woods. Like this is a stylized set for into the woods. Yeah. 
Well, and she's going into the woods, so probably that. And as she's walking into the woods, she comes across Mayor Minlove um, alone, which let's talk about his name for a second. What is his full name? Mayor Alicius Alicius Aloysius. Alicius. Aloysius. Okay. Aloysius Minlove. Aloysius Minlove. And because also, you know, too, a lot of the times people would say their last name before the first name. So you have Minlove Aloysius. Like Minlove Aloysius. What is Aloysius? I feel like I'm going to go. I, I, re- I recognize that name. It could just be a reference. It could just be a name of a character from another musical. Because some people are just named after other musical characters. But it could be a reference to something else. I really, really, really want to. I'm going to look up what the meaning of it is. Aloysius. Mm-hmm. I feel like I recognize it, though, as the name of a mayor or of some main character from another musical. And I just go see the notes. It it is it means famous warrior. Is it is it <laughs> <laughs> type in Aloysius and then put musical after it and see if it comes up as any like a character in the musical. Let me see, Aloysius musical. Let me take meaning of out of it. <clears throat> I am not seeing anything. But there is a St. Aloysius College. Hmm. I'm sure it has some meaning because it's too, it's too random, it's too specific I, of a name. I just like the fact that it's, it Men means... Love. It means warrior. <laughs> it means famous warrior. Um, hmm, interesting. But I mean, you get into his song, and I mean, it's like, especially when he gets into the part where he says, talking about, and he hold you tight in his strong, tanned arms, and, a dee dee dee. and you can see her face, she's like, oh, hold on a second. Is he talking yeah. about? Because strong, tanned arms, it does make sense, because he is tan, obviously. But also, I think it's referencing whoever his his man friend, especially when it gets to the love that is forbidden. Blah 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 blah. That right, you right, know. right. Yeah, because it is. He's a. I just. I think I'm gonna really love that character. You know, in the beginning of shows, you start to find characters like right off that you kind of are like, I. I think I'm gonna really love them, and I really think that Mayor Minlove is gonna be mine. I hate Mildred. Hate her. <laughs> I, I don't like her, but I, I, I like her, but I don't, you know? Um, well, yeah. In, anyways, we got on this rant about his name, but Mayor Minlove is reassuring Melissa that although this feels like the end for her, she's going to be able to find someone new. She's going to be able to find that love. She's going to be able to move on. And it takes us into this song, his first character song, which is Somewhere Love is Waiting for You. And in a lot of ways, it's a it's it's basically a, a queer version of some enchanted evening from South yeah. Pacific. That is one hundred percent what it is. It's it's very dreamy. It's got that yearning to fall in love. It has that operatic style to it. 
Um, and both, um, both Somewhere Love is Waiting for You from Schmigadoon and Some Enchanted Evening from South Pacific have super big reprises that they do mm-hmm. um, to kind of like end the, the scene out and tie it all together. Um, and in this song, we get our first real look at Mayor Min Love's secret. And we discover that the woods is his place to go when he needs to be authentically him. Mm-hmm. When he needs to and be I, gay, but he can't. Yeah. Yeah. When he needs to be what he can't be. And I love that. I love the, the whole thought of like woods are, you know, typically. Our secrets are hidden in the woods. Yeah. But, and well, and woods are typically considered to, to be dark and cold and, you know, there, it's not a place that most people want to go and hang out. So, of course, if you have a secret, what better place? I mean, he's the mayor of the town. He's probably got eyes everywhere. People are watching him everywhere he goes. Um, and I think it was really important to make his character have this battle of being in the closet because that's one thing that is going to tie in where we are today with this old era of musical theater because the 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 um lgbtq community was not represented that's not something that was commonly done in the golden no. age of musical theater it you, it was unheard of they were there uh, they were the they were the chorus boys they were laid on like i talked about earlier about him playing this kind of like you know, older chorus boy who's like obviously you know you know he's now worked his way up to his big role. Um, yeah, they were we you know we've always been there. We've we're you know we've always been making theater, but you know it's not until more recently that we've been celebrated. Yeah, and I, I will, and not even just that, but like writing it into the stories. You know mm-hmm. that wasn't that wasn't done. You know, and I love that this is a way to bridge that gap. Like this is a way to say. Yes, this style is so beautiful. This this um this version of writing musical theater is great and it has its place, mm-hmm. but here's a way it, it could be better. You know, it could be better by creating this this representation for people. I think it's important to have representation in everything and so the fact that they wrote that in, I I I really loved that. Yeah, no, it was it was really it was really nice to see that, and um, just also it's 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 just all the layers that are there are, are nice to always have, and the campiness too of it of, you know, she's like, "Are you gay?" And he's like, "Well, I'm always I try to be," and but more so, of course, to him being a, from a, from a musical of the '40s, gay means something different. Make gay um, means happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I always try to be, and then he he pulls in that the town's motto is to always strive for joy and happiness or whatever um but melissa knows melissa has very caught on she's she's very aware of of what he's trying to tell her without him telling her yeah um we get you know a beautiful song sung by Somebody, Alan Cumming, with the beautiful prize, and of course he takes all his these campy beats. If it starts and then it stops, uh, and she's like, "Oh, it's done." Nope, nope. He's still got more song. Don't worry, he's putting more yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And when when he did the reprise, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is everything." Like this, that made the whole scene. 
that made the whole scene. <laughs> yes. But I, I still only thought of Fegan Floop, so just saying. <laughs> just saying. He will all Alan Cumming will always be Fegan Floop. He will always be floating on that little cloud thing in the in, in Spy Kids. That was my show. That was my movie. <laughs> Good gosh. Um so while this is all going on, Josh is back in the town. He's in the main square. Um, and he's talking to Betsy, who's getting, you know, set up. Everybody's setting up for the basket auction. Um, and she's talking to her sisters. They're talking about how funny he is because he made that joke about sleeping like a log. And she's just talking so southern. She's and quite obviously, this is, this is Ado Annie from Oklahoma. This is very that. It's very... You know, the young girl who's, oh, I'm really sweet, but, you know, as she says later, why wait? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, why wait? I, um, I, I thought it was really funny that um, he wasn't noticing her age in this moment. Because mm-hmm. it's very apparent. To the rest of us, you know, but he just sees some good looking younger girl giving him attention. I mean, she she makes it very clear that she intends for Josh to bid on her basket. Mm-hmm. She makes it very clear, like to the point where she's tell it, whispering in his ear the color ribbon that she's going to tie around it. Like, I want you. To well, this, this is very Ado Alley with the peddler man and. um Mm-hmm. You know, where she wants Once him to bid on her. Even his outfit feels very the peddler man from Oklahoma later. His like blue outfit um, that he puts on, and yeah, and it's 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 and also too, I think there's even a little bit of play with the fact that there's even a little bit of commentary about how like in musical theater we also cast you know twenty year olds that play sixteen year olds. So it's like there's also that that variant of like I really don't know how old you are because. You look 20, but you could be 16 because it's a musical. You could be 12. Who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know. I know someone who would have played this role great. But... <laughs> okay. It's going to be the Shade um, Podcast when we're done with it. Probably. We're going to be in so much trouble, and I love it. Um, <laughs> so they go back to the inn, and... You see Josh and Melissa both walk out of their room. Or maybe Melissa's coming back in and Josh is leaving. But Yeah, Melissa's coming back in and Josh is headed out. And Josh is dressed. Now now Josh is like, I'm all in. There's this mm-hmm. He's and he's still not all in for the right reasons. He's all in because he's hoping Betsy's his love so that he can get, get on out. out. And also maybe get a little lucky, you know, a little along, something on the side, you know. A little along the way, yep. Um, but he is dressed. He is now in full uniform. Um, and Melissa, <laughs> I think this throws her off. Um, she's kind of like, okay, wait. And I and I don't even think it's that he wanted to be involved in the town. I think if. It's that he doesn't want to be involved in the town with her. I mean, this Mm -hmm. so clearly shows her that the same attention to detail and the same commitment that she wanted from him 
he's now going to give to this little white bitch he just met. This yeah, little blonde haired girl this, he just met. This and it's just yeah. Girl. It's very it's it's very much so like, oh, a few moments ago you couldn't sing for me, but you can get in a full get up and everything. You oh, you're all in now. For this girl you just met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so now you're all in. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um they argue about it. They argue about him going to the auction, you know, he they argue about um And I, I also think that this kind of mirrors this idea that men move on faster than women. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like he's all right. We're just gonna do what we gotta do, and she's still sulking. She is still in this. I need to get where I feel okay like i need to get to a point where i can breathe again so that i can move on and he's like nope next thing hey she's mm-hmm. hot and and it shows you just the, the again accenting again the different level of commitment and buy into the relationship that each of them had from the beginning yeah yeah and you know obviously though this like lights a fire under melissa of like okay i've got to go too fine if you're going you know and i think that's very i've been melissa okay (laughs) i i have been the girl that like wants to go somewhere that i know an ex is gonna be and look incredibly hot just so I can prove that he still notices me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like she's doing it to prove that she's still something that he wants. But um, before we get to the action, I wrote down in my notes, why did I not mention the newsboy in episode one? Oh, um, yes. Carson, the newsboy Carson, who is essentially Winthrop Peru from the music man. Mm-hmm. Um, he A nod is... to Ron Howard. He's so cute. He's so cute. And they both have lisps. Both characters have like really strong lisps. And they both essentially have no friends. Um, <laughs> yes. Which we learn that we learn that Carson has no friends because he's the weird kid and has the lisp and he spends too much time with his older sister who we will get to. Um, we we'll also do because this is a musical. There probably actually are no other children. That's just the story. <laughs> That that's probably true too, um, in and but because of him, we are slightly introduced to the school marm, who is Miss Imitate, um, and she is played by Ariana DeBose, um, who's we haven't seen it in this show yet, but she is one of the most incredible dancers oh yes um out there she's a beautiful dancer she's had I mean, she was the bullet in in hamilton yes she's the bullet in hamilton she's been on so you think you can dance um and she can also be seen in netflix's the prom which was directed by ryan murphy mm-hmm. um but she is i mean I, I really can't wait to see her role 
progress because we we don't really know much about her yet we just know who she is like mm-hmm. essentially they've just introduced us to her character and her character is um, very like it's it's a lot of it's obviously again also based off music man as she's miss brew and she's of course the librarian looking after the books and even the books that she mentions that got burnt by the preacher's wife are the books from Music Man, Balzac, and Voltaire, and, and all those other... It is the same three that they don't like in Music Man, so that's like a direct yep. pull. Yep. And I love that her character that's so tightly wound to... Or so tightly, yeah, wound with Music Man is the older sister of of um, the newsboy, who's also oh, yeah. like... A direct reflection. Mm-hmm. In fact, she doesn't have a husband, and that's why they don't like her, and that's all Music Man. Yeah, I, I love that when when the preacher's wife, Mildred, is like, won't take a husband. She just yells it, you know. <laughs> just, like, that's the only thing you can say about this woman is that she's not married. And, like, from being from the South, we, we, we know that hateful, like, that hateful church woman. That's we just do. being hateful for no reason. We do. I, um... I'm really blessed. I go to a church that is 98% like just super loving people. Um, and the only reason why I won't say 100 is because I know the people who like make you feel uncomfortable about something that's so stupid. Like in my church, it's not even anything religiously related. It's politics. It's I, I know someone who thought it was an appropriate joke to say, Hey, everybody, like, when the this last election came around, like, hey, everybody, don't forget, like, Republicans, they because of COVID, they decided to make it to where Republicans vote one day, Democrats vote the other. So Republicans, you vote Tuesday, Democrats, you vote Wednesday. And the joke is, like, none of the Democrats will, will get their vote in. And every time that joke was made, it would just make me feel so uncomfortable. And to me, I don't really consider myself one or the other. I vote on person not on party because i feel like at different stages of life you need different things um but i was voting democrat you know this last election and and it and i do think in a lot of ways i'm much more liberal than the republicans in the south um because they take republican to a whole other level um, they take their conservative, conservatism, yeah, conservatism to a whole other Ooh, level. Yes. And I'm and I'm not there. And so, you'd be sitting in church, and I'm like, why are we making these jokes like this? Like you're judging people off their political views. Like what is wrong with you? And yeah, and that's just like a light version. I mean, I have gone to churches where. If your dress is too short, they think you're a hoe, mm-hmm. and they will tell you you look like a hoe. Granted, we've also been in churches where uh, the members of the church also didn't think we blew your skirt up high enough during the Marilyn Monroe in the sanctuary. So you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's the other side of the coin as well. Well, that same that same church though, and you remember the lady got mad because Reuben and I kissed, mm-hmm. and we're like, it's scripted. We're not like promoting people to go and make. Also, out. when people get married, they kiss. In a church. I wonder what Ruben's doing these days. I think about him from time to time. <laughs> not, in, not in a like way of like, but he no, was this, so this show, fun. This show would have been you and Ruben if you and Ruben had actually dated. Oh, 100%. I'd be Melissa and he'd be 
Yeah. He'd be Josh. One hundred percent. And you would be Merriman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be all of the characters. Can we redo this show where I just play all of the characters and spring it in? <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, Ruben, if by some chance you stumble across this podcast, I just want to say you were a phenomenal co-star and a great friend. But dude, you ditched us the next summer and then you never talked to us again. And I, for all I know, you're dead. So if you do hear this, let us know you're alive and kicking. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and are you married? Just curious. Just, just curious. Um, <laughs> so we're at the basket auction, which is for these books. I tried to look up, like, Google, like, if there's, like, a history behind basket auctions. And there's really not, like, anything more than what they're putting in the show. It's just a way there's... to raise money. Women build picnic baskets and the men bid on them. And if you win, then that's your date. You know, you you take the picnic basket and the woman on um, on a, a lovely picnic. on a date. Yeah, so they're here to do that, and right from the beginning, Melissa is um, Melissa's starting to drink from the <laughs> the gentleman's from the gentleman's punch. bowl. Yeah, the gentleman's bowl, which. Is so sexist, but so appropriate for the time era, oh, yeah. you know, like, you know, it's just, well, there's okay. so many things like that where it's like even like later on when she's talking about herself and talking about, you know, I'm the, the you know, really kind of like saying what is going on. But then it kind of reminds you this is also through a very 2020, 2021 lens. But through their eyes, they're like, but I just want some pie. And not even like yeah. like you know like I just want no actual cake like actual food not not like innuendo pie but like no actual food yeah please. like we're not talking about your butt <laughs> I want a slice of cake like like but can you make a cake at a later date a future date yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it was so funny and I I know that you um said that this was a this whole scene was like a good nod to to music man but it's also a good a nice little nod to oklahoma because mm-hmm. they, the they had their basket. lunch basket auction to raise funds for the schoolhouse as well um so they're having the auction and josh has been quiet he has waited very patiently for betsy's basket and everybody's bidding 12 and a half cents and you know he said what's the deal with 12 and a half cents like that's a that's a weird you know, thing. Um, yeah, it wasn't until they said that, and I was like, oh, that is half of a quarter. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, so, jo- but Josh ends up buying Betsy's basket for $20. Which for them is a lot of money. When you're bidding at 12 and a half cents, $20 is a lot of money. And also, a too, lot. it's a reference to, in Oklahoma, that's kind of, that's what happens of uh, Curly, you know, gives up everything. So we, we actually see this happen twice. Curly gives up everything he owns to, like, pay and has this huge price. Or no, um, I should think this more so referencing when, um, what's his name? Not Curly, Judd. Judd outdoes Curly's bid and it's like $5 or something like that. And it's like this huge amount for then. 
Um, yeah. Then we see the the parallel of Curly giving up all of his stuff when Danny when Danny Bailey comes in as well. He's like, "It's all that I own. I have all that I own. This two dollars." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think it's really funny, you know, that he he does uh, that. Josh bids the twenty dollars, and Betsy's like, "Oh my God, the doctor! Yes. The doctor!" <laughs> and I was like, "This is so modern day, you know, like mm-hmm. you you hear all these." Um, and almost very, dare I say it, almost like very the nanny where it's like looking for the doctor and like there's almost. Yes. A, yeah. Yes. And it's and it's just it is true, though. You know, you have young girls. They're looking for the guy with the deep pockets. And Betsy has clearly found hers. Um, and this just sets Melissa off. Melissa at this point, she is intoxicated like she is. And Melissa is very, very, very. um I am woman, hear me roar in this mm-hmm. moment, you know? And I think that that her, she was already angry when she got there. The whole, like them explaining to her, like, that's the gentleman's bowl. You know, she's like, what are we like living in a sexist, you know, neighborhood? It's like, well, um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah, yeah, you are. But, um, so she decides to auction her off herself. And it's a way to make Josh jealous. It's a way to say, well, if you can move on, guess what? So can I. And I'm going to do it 10 times better than you. And I'm going to make you very aware of the fact that I don't just intend on having a picnic. I'm going to cut you deep to the core. And like you said, Danny comes in and he um, he's going to take her out with $2, which mm-hmm. is and it and it's funny because they don't even like even though Danny is gonna bid the highest bid like that she's not gonna get any more money. Mayor Minlove is so over it he doesn't even give he like anybody sold. Else. good sold here you go like <laughs> Danny could have came out with with fifty cents and they would have been like sold you're done yes. yeah because nobody had bid on her at that point yeah um and I loved all the guys saying oh I am not bidding I have a question <laughs> like it just. It was just a trend, and it was hilarious. But um, this scene also reveals that Mildred, who is so unhappy by the way that Josh and Melissa behave, now, like, her need to plot, like, to create a plot and, and scheme in order to get them out, now that's starting to come to life. Like she was already annoyed. Here's these new people in the town. I don't like them. I don't like their interracialness. Um, but I also, you know, now they're coming in and they're behaving improperly. They are disrupting the flow of, of my town and I need them gone. And that Mm -hmm. becomes very prevalent in, in this scene. You know, she even says like, I've, I've got to get them out of here. Um, And yeah, and then we move on to the dates. Mm -hmm. Both are now going on a date. Danny and Melissa having a picnic outside of the Tunnel of Love, where Melissa can't stop complaining about Josh. Um, And Danny feeds into her independent woman ego by getting her to win herself a prize. He takes her over to the game at the carnival area in town and basically teaches her how she can win her own prize it's just very much what she needed in that moment and it 
creates the perfect moment for them to share a kiss. And what, like, a very musical theater, too, like, with the innuendos of, like, how he's like, oh, this, and remember these things are built to explode, and, like, if you just stroke it the right way, all that stuff. And I was like, this is so very musical theater. It reminded me a lot of the scene in Drowsy that I had with... Oh, with Aldolfo. with, With Aldolfo, where he's saying all these like little innuendos of oh, I wanted to be sent into a place of ecstasy, you know, and Drowsy's like, wait a minute, that piques my interest, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like this, okay, we're going to say what we want and we're like, it's out there. Like there's and then no, she just wait. says it. <laughs> yeah. Like we're not hiding it. Like, She's this like is exactly I will throw it. my mother in front of a bus yes. to ride you. Yes, she's she's very but but she's also living 2020 2021 like you said, you know, like her lenses are not filtered the way his are, but mm-hmm. I love it. And then um in comes the song Enjoy the Ride, which I loved because you know me and you know that my favorite musical of all time is none other than guys and dolls Mm -hmm. and this whole song is if i were a bell from guys and dolls Mm -hmm. and i i actually the first time i watched it i paused it so i could go listen to if i were a bell because i love love guys and dolls and um i really love that like flirty jazzy um little bit of like a good girl gone bad vibe that like Sarah Brown um, had in Guys and Dolls when Mm -hmm. she falls for bad boy Sky Masterson like I loved that I love that then and I love it now I love when the goody two shoes is like you know what I'm just gonna have a little bit of fun I'm gonna let my hair down and we're gonna see what happens and um, that is exactly what's going on in this song and all the all the sexual like innuendos in the song, you know, just just the same as if I were Belle. If I were Belle, I'd go ding dong ding dong ding. You know, like I'd be <laughs> chiming right now. We'd be great. And um, or the other line, um, this chemistry lesson I'm learning, and Sky Masterson's like chemistry, and she's like, yeah, chemistry. And also the like similarity of them both being intoxicated, like they are both doing this through the fogginess of alcohol, you know, and they, neither one of them would have had the courage to do that if they had, didn't have, you know, that, those um, drinks ahead of time. So I really loved this scene. um, And I really, really hope that we see more guys and dolls references moving forward because that is my heart. And some point in my life I will play Adelaide and all will be well in the world oh yes no trust me yes no guys and dolls is definitely if, yeah if I had to pick a show for for let it be guy I feel like if you have like if you had to pick one show and you could only do one show on Broadway or like or just one show you're like I you can be in one show it would be Adelaide in guys and dolls Hello, Nathan Darling. The girls and I are going to go to the hot box. That is my jam. 
She already knows the part. I already know the part. Yeah. If anybody's doing guys and dolls, uh, you can look me up on IG and just offer me the part. Follow her on Instagram. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Meanwhile, Josh and Betsy take their picnic up a hill to enjoy some privacy. Um, And virginity ruins. Yeah, virginity ruins. Betsy is, you know, talking it all eagerly about how the high school kids go there, and that's how they're they lose their virginity, but not her. She's never been there. She's never been there. Except which is, other than, except for the swing that she sang a swing on last summer, and the tree that her dad planted. <laughs> so like, so you have been there. So you've been there quite a lot, and also bullshit because you were whispering in this guy's ear. Literally, exactly like six hours doing. ago, no, exactly you knew what, what you were doing. Yes, you knew what you were doing. <laughs> and as she's saying all these things and making all these references, Josh is quickly realizing, like, oh crap, like this is a minor. Like, this is this is not someone I should be on a date with. And, um, and like, oh, when the I, melons and the large sausage, and the... yeah, and all the, and I, I kind of laughed at it because. He's freaking out about her age because in modern time, that is considered rape and he would be thrown in jail. Funnily enough, in their time, that would just be when she would get married to him, probably. Right, right. And exactly, exactly. Like back then, her being... That is marrying age. 16, 17, that was so normal. I mean, my my grandparents my grandma was 20 when she married my grandpa and he was 30 and my grandma was also very smart by the time she was 20 she had already graduated college but so her maturity level was probably where people my age getting married in today's society is but all of her siblings were getting married around you know her sister was getting married like around the same age and that's that was just the normal you well, just that's like even like biologically i feel like your 20s are really that's when you're like your your systems are the most primed to like right children right and that's like um like what we were saying earlier how we live in the society that pushes us towards that i mean i i growing up in the south we are taught as women that part of this southern bell mentality is getting married and starting your family young. I mean, James and I started dating. I was 21. We didn't get married until I was 27. And that was really hard for me um, early on in our relationship when I was like turning, you know, 23, 24, and we weren't even engaged yet because I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm losing my time. I'm, you know, and it, it, really I'm not I mean modern medicine is great there are people who are having babies close to 50 you know yeah. like my t- my time isn't running running out but I mean, you it also was... had, you also had your best friend you also had Amanda kind of running parallel who now is three children three children mm-hmm. so my my best friend um she married her high school sweetheart at 18 she is the old school timeline of of women we are now um 28 
she's been married just about 10 years and um, has three amazingly beautiful kids. Um, they are just all, she's been married eight years. Yeah. But she, anyways, they, she's, she is the timeline that most girls in the South believe they have to live. Now, Amanda's very lucky. She's very blessed. Like I said, she, she and Michael, they started dating when we were in eighth grade and they've just been inseparable since, and they balance each other out incredibly. Um, so she, she just got really lucky. She found her person, you know, early on in life and they've started their family and it's great. And it, it, it is hard, um, being where I'm at. And in some ways I do get sad, you know, you, you look back, you're like, man, like if James and I had gotten married a few years earlier, like we could already have a couple children by now, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But then I also look back and I'm like, the difference is, is that, for, for instance, Amanda was pregnant on her 21st birthday. Hmm. You know, she, she has lived her entire 20s being a mom. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, she's, she's a terrific mom. But there are aspects of life that I have gotten to enjoy and that my husband has gotten to enjoy a lot more because we didn't have children that young because it was just, it was just the two of us. I mean, married or not, it was just the, it was just the two of us. And I also think that not being married, it, it made us grow and develop into our own people so that when we did get married, like we're 100% certain. I mean, we changed and evolved so many times over the course of our 20s. People naturally do that. Now there's no question like, okay, we've gone through all these changes together. So we are meant to be mm. together. But yes, it is hard. It is very difficult um, sometimes just because we are in the South. And, and that is, that is what, what Betsy is doing and living even though it's irrational and it's wrong for someone who is 16, 15 to date someone who's almost 40, which is this scenario right here, it is also what she's thinking and living is also what is put into so many young girls like mentality and head. Like we are born and raised to be homemakers and and not much more. So um yeah yeah but josh doesn't like it josh does not like this and um it's funny because we're, we're just guessing we don't really know how old like Correct. betsy does not explicitly say how old she is um but from that look of that tree somewhere that her father planted when she was teens somewhere yes um it it I wrote, it definitely seems to be a 16 going on 17 situation. Like it's, it's very apparent. Um, so they're going through that. She sings a little, a little verse. Of, I was not expecting um, that voice when she opened her mouth. I was like, oh, okay. She can sing. So you've never like watched Dove Cameron and any of the I other stuff. Was, no. Okay. So I, I've known her, you know, from the Disney stuff. I keep up with Disney. Um, but so I've known her from from that. But yes, yeah, she has a beautiful voice. Um, 
she's the powerhouse and you wouldn't expect it. And, um, yes, but while they're doing that, you flips back over to Melissa and, um, Danny and they are enjoying the end of their night with a ride through the tunnel of love. And I was really sad that we didn't go in the tunnel of love with them. I wanted to know. You think we will? Maybe. I also don't think there's much to it. It looks like it's just a quick little. I know, but I thought that would be funny to see. (laughs) Like, you know, okay. Like, you know, in Greece, when you're watching Greece and it gets to, you're the one that I want. And they walk through the like, the like, like the mirror fun house and it's literally like they take four steps and then they're coming out on the other side like that is so funny to me <laughs> like i don't know why that just so i don't know the I was practicality kind of, of how small it is yes but while she's ending her night with that ride through the tunnel of love josh is ending his with a shotgun to the face um <laughs> betsy's dad is not happy and the term shotgun wedding becomes real quick oh, yes. yeah. there's always there's always somebody's dad with a gun in these musicals from oklahoma to all of them somebody's dad's got a gun well once again that's just the country that's just the southern country <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it's, it's true it's true but this is that brings us to the end of episode two any any like final thoughts about the whole first two episodes no, I I really just I really want um I really want to know if they're going to end up being each other's true love or not. I'm really excited to see that. I am also excited to see what other relationships they test out and they try because these clearly will not be the only ones. There's just no way. There's too many characters we have to get. And I'm interested to figure out if we figure out how Schmigadoon became, yeah, how how it, how it works, and also too, like there there are also characters that have been introduced yet, like Jane Krakowski's character, the I think the Duchess mm-hmm. or the Countess, something like that. So that'll be interesting. I'm excited to see all these other characters. So like I'm excited. In fact, tomorrow or no, it was today. It was actually today. Stay. Today is actually well. It, it in your Friday, time. It's really in your working. time, it, right now it's Thursday. It's Thursday morning for you. Yeah, true. So like, technically, but it's Wednesday tonight, night for me. <laughs> I probably will later tonight, like Thursday at like well Friday at one a.m. in the morning. Watch the next episode because I think it comes out at like midnight. So I am excited to see. I am the journey so takes us. So excited. And yeah, so this, like I said, we'll be putting out episodes every Monday. This one is going out this um, Friday just because of how they release the episodes. But then we're going to start releasing them on Monday so you can go look for that. Uh, and this has been the very first episode of Schmigadoonery, the number one podcast for dissecting and reviewing the new Apple TV show Schmigadoon. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to comment, like, and describe, subscribe to us wherever you are listening from. You can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts are found. You can also watch the podcast on YouTube page Mosaics. That's M-O-S-A-I-X. And you can subscribe to us across social media at Watch Mosaics. Now, until next time, remember, 
Everyone likes a button. And everyone wants to eat.